0: Typewriters, whatever you use. Leviticus chapter 27 tonight. Yeah. You know, before we get into the word tonight, I was just thinking about that last song that we sang from the inside out. And I've been really encouraged this week that Jesus changes people from the inside out. Amen? How many of you guys are glad that we're not doing a religion we're not, we're not trying to earn blessings we're not trying to like approach God on our own merit right and i think that this week i've heard a couple of testimonies from people who have gotten radically saved this week whose lives have just been transformed and it's just an absolute work of the holy spirit and i'm just so like i think just reinfused with faith this week that God wants to transform lives. He wants to take people that we look around and we say, there's no way that guy or that woman could ever be saved. And I'm telling you, Jesus can change anybody. And he does it by a work in the power of his Holy Spirit. It's not through our ability to be better or do this or that. He just grabs a hold and he changes us from the inside out. Amen? And I hope that we just remember that. And he's changed you from the inside out, and he's changing me from the inside out. And and guys, I, I just, I guess, I just wanted to, I just want to give praise to God because, I, like I said, I've heard just firsthand accounts this week of a couple of different testimonies of people that have just radically encountered Jesus—not religion, but the the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who transforms lives. Amen. And that's why we're here. We're not here to play church. We're not here to just go through some religious motion. We're here because the God of the universe came and reached into our lives and and, and wants to continue us in that relationship with him. Amen? And so we approach his word tonight with that in mind, like saying, Lord, speak to us. Yeah, this was written thousands of years ago, but your word is living and powerful and timeless. And so... Speak to us. Amen? Let's have that heart as we go in. So we're in Leviticus chapter 27. Let's pray and then we'll just jump in. Father, we thank you for your eternal, authoritative, inspired, inerrant word. And we just declare again tonight that your word has authority over our lives, not the other way around. We don't want to try to fit your word into our life. We want to fit our life into your word. Lord, we don't want to just read it. We want it to filter in to the very fiber of who we are and transform us. And that's not something we can do, Lord. That's a work of your spirit. So I'm just asking that you would bless your word as it's spoken and read simply tonight. And you would make the applications, Holy Spirit. And you would do the life and the heart work in us. In Jesus' name, Amen, amen, amen. Amen so yeah guys chapter twenty seven um i'm i'm a little surprised. I feels like we we got through this book fairly quickly and and it 's been a, i think a good study and uh, as we come to chapter twenty seven i don 't know how many of you guys read ahead a couple people have, and um, they 've expressed to me the very thing that i 've been thinking all week is like, what a weird chapter' <laughs> what, a, what a kind of a strange chapter because You know, when you read through the book, it really makes sense to end on chapter 26. You know, as Moses has come down from Mount Sinai, he's communicating the Levitical law, we call it the law, to the people of Israel as they're preparing to go into the promised land. You know, he he kind of bursts into this epic three-point sermon in chapter 26, basically saying, look, obedience for blessing— Um, discipline for disobedience and mercy for repentance. And it just seems like a a great way to button it up, you know. But then there's chapter 27, just kind of launches into this very specific kind of obscure thing that they might want to know about someday. And a lot of commentators don't even, like, recognize chapter 27. A lot of people are like, yeah, it's just kind of a PS or an appendix or what, you know. Is that the right word? Appendix? Append. yeah. I guess kept thinking of an organ, but I guess that's right. Um, an add-on, whatever, an afterthought, that's the idea. But nonetheless, guys, it's in the Word. It is the Word of God. And God doesn't make mistakes. And I believe that, that you know, when you read this, to me it's very fitting because it's like, oh yeah, we're reading about the law and it's a little uncomfortable and it's a little like, wow, tight. And that's because it's the law. Uh, but we're going to look at it tonight. So here's the little preview because we're going to work through the actual text fairly quickly. A little preview. This chapter is dealing with uh, specifically um, regulations that would deal with vows that somebody might make in dedicating something to God, like God. If you get me through this, I promise I'll. Or God, I'm going to do this for you, or I'm going to give this to you. And and if you if a person in Israel made a vow to God by dedicating something, um, what we're going to see is God holds them to it. Um, I'll talk about that in a second. But what's kind of very specific and, and kind of interesting about this chapter is it's dealing with what you would have to do if you pulled out of that vow, You made a rash vow. You made a vow and you you couldn't or didn't want to or weren't able to follow through with it. God's like, okay, but here's some monetary value you're going to have to tack on to what that vow was worth plus, you know, this much. And it's like, wow, this is kind of heavy. So it's interesting because when you talk about vows, and I'm talking about vows that would be like directed towards God, like, God, I promise I'm going to do this. Nowhere in the Old Testament, nowhere in the New Testament Will you find God demanding that? These are all absolutely 100% voluntary. There's nothing ever where God says, I am demanding that you promise me this. It's always voluntary. You'll never find one example where it's not. But it may be voluntary. But once a vow was made, God took them very seriously. In fact, let me just, you might want to jot down the reference, but I'll read to you the actual verses. Here's just a a few chosen verses that underscore that point. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 say, When you make a vow to God, don't delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and then not fulfill it. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. I like how subtle that verse is. Just the nuances. (laughs) He's basically like saying, don't open your mouth too quickly and say you're going to do something for God unless you intend to follow through. Another verse, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you have no guilt. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord with your own mouth. By the way, I'm reading from the NIV on those quotes. One last one, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 25. It is a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later consider one's vows. <laughs> So this is kind of a warning, like, hey, if you're going to make a vow, you don't have to, but if you're going to, God says, I expect you fully uh, to follow through with that. Um, I don't know if I want to get a a show of hands, but there's probably some of us in here that have made rash vows to God, where we say, God, I promise I'll never do this again, and then like a week later, like, ooh, I don't know if I should have actually done that. And thank God for the grace and mercy of God, amen? Now, here's what I want to say, just to... Not that I don't think you know this, but um, it's, I think, always worth noting when we start making applications, is that, guys, we live in the New Covenant. We live in the New Testament. We're not under, in any way, shape, or form, we are not under the Levitical law. We have been set free from that because Jesus perfectly fulfilled that and then died on the cross for our our inability to fulfill that, and then we are under a new law, the law of spirit and of truth, right? Right? Having said that, I just want to say this. We're not held to the same law, but having said that, there's still some principles here. There's still some great principles for us to apply, and you kind of hear the heart of God as we go into this. Does that make sense so far? So as we get into this, again, dealing with vows, what would happen if you couldn't, wouldn't fulfill that vow? And he's going to deal specifically in three areas. Number one, people. Number two, animals. And number three, Stuff And you'll kind of see as we go through this um, how that breaks down. Let's look at verses 1 through 8. This is when somebody would make a vow for a person. And I'm just going to read it all the way through. Guaranteed it will confuse you, but hang in there. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years up To 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. If the person is from 5 years old up to 20 years old, the valuation for a male, 20 shekels. For a female, Ten shekels. If the person is from a month old to five years old, the valuation shall be for a male five shekels of silver, and for a female valuation shall three shekels shall be three shekels. That's a real mouthful. Three shekels of silver. And if the person is sixty years old or over, then the valuation for a male shall be fifteen shekels, and for a female ten shekels. And if someone is too poor, To pay the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest. The priest shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what he, the vower, can afford. You guys get all that? Whoo! Okay, so let's kind of back up a little bit. So, what's going on here? The idea is, and I think kind of the key word here, if you look at verse uh, two. He says, um, if somebody makes a special vow, and if you have a different translation, it might say something like a difficult vow. Or somebody have anything else on that? Special, difficult, what else? What was it? Singular vow, yeah. So what's interesting is the Hebrew word there actually means like magnificent or extraordinary. And so this is something that's like an extraordinary, you know, major vow that you're making to, to God. And and the idea is it's a dealing with people. So how does this work out? Well, Well, think with me. If you were to say, I want to commit my life to serving God, you've been so good to me. I'm going to give my life in full dedication to serving you. Well, a couple of things would happen then. Okay, you could either physically, on location, go to the tabernacle and fulfill that vow sweeping up the tabernacle painting the trim you know doing whatever needed to be done or you could say well you know by the way they had a whole tribe of people called the Levites that were in charge of the tabernacle then later the temple so if you wanted to either like still show your heart in doing that but not physically do it you could say well I where do I fit in my age and sex into the the chart and I can just pay that amount of money and give it to the priest does that make sense? You're a 25-year-old man. You're like, oh, I'm going to dedicate myself to the Lord. Okay, you can either go serve or you can pay 50 shekels. Now, by the way, that's almost four years' worth of salary. So, again, be careful of a rash vow if you can't afford it, right? This would also come into play if you were like, I know I said I was going to serve the Lord, but I just, you know, life's busy and I got these other things. God's like, okay. That's cool, but it's gonna cost you. You still made that vow, so it's gonna cost you 50 shekels, 30 shekels, whatever the shekels might be. Does that make sense? Um, by the way, because this always comes up when, you, when you're discussing this, well, how come it's 50 shekels for a man and 30 shekels? That's so male chauvinist. Like, it, you know, it's like 2020, so I mean, you can't dare say there's a difference, but um, just rest assured, God is not putting value on the worth of a human being. The idea is it 's more the idea of a wage and what that sex or age of the person can bring as it as it relates to service in the temple or the tabernacle, so it had nothing to do with your value as a person you know uh, for, you know somebody was reminding me before the service, and it 's so true in Christ, we are all one, amen, no male female. Black, brown, poor, rich, we're just one in Christ. And he values all of us, male, female, dark skin, light skin, we are all one in him. Amen? Which, by the way, since I'm on that topic and and it's such a hot topic in our culture right now, definitely not in my notes because I'm like, here I am right now, but um, this is the answer to the um, race tension in our culture and in the world. It's not political. The only answer, the only real answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what changes the evil heart of prejudice in every human being. And until we recognize that every one of us has a tendency to be prejudiced and, um, you know, feel like we're better or superior or whatever, every hu- that's a human condition. That's a human condition no matter what color you might be. And so it's only when we realize that our worth is in Christ and we're all one in Christ that those barriers truly, actually break down and there's true, real unity. It's only found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Well, that aside, hopefully you understand. By the way, anybody, um, there's a couple of examples in the scriptures going back to our text now of, of this, you know, dedicating someone to God. I'll give you the obvious one um, and it was a good one. Maybe, maybe it popped into your head. A guy by the name of Samuel. Remember Hannah? She couldn't have children. She couldn't have children. Her husband had another wife who was having children, and that wife made sure Hannah knew about it, rubbed it in her nose, and she was just absolutely ridiculed every day and just heartbroken, and she prayed for kids, and God didn't give it. And then finally she said, if you give me a son, I promise I will dedicate him to you. And there's so much of that story that I'm tempted to go off on that it's such a great sermon for another day, but just for night, for tonight, she did that. She didn't pay the value. She actually, once that child was weaned, she literally gave him to the the care of Eli, who was kind of an idiot, by the way. And he served the Lord. And by the way, Samuel turned out to be one of the godliest men in all of Scripture. And God used him to anoint David as king and just used him mightily. Another, maybe a bad example of this, of a rash vow, is the story of Jephthah. You guys remember this in Judges chapter 11? Jephthah, he was kind of this outcast dude. Clearly, this is the Reader's Digest version of this story. Um, the Ammonites are attacking, the Israelites are like, hey, you be our judge, go deliver us. He basically says, okay, God, if you bring me back in peace, I'm going to give you the first thing that comes out of my front door. I dedicate to you as a burnt offering. And he gets the victory and he comes back and guess what comes out of his front door? His daughter. Now there's a huge debate. I just want to open the can and just leave it here for you. I'm not going to, because there's a huge debate as, as to whether did he, because here's, here's what happened. He, he tore his clothes, he's like, no, and his daughter said, no, dad, you made a vow to God, and don't you dare not fulfill it. And he fulfilled his vow, but then the big debate is, did he actually offer her up as a burnt offering, or did she just, the rest of her life live in dedication to God and, the, and what the text says is she died a virgin meaning she never got married obviously she never got to have a husband and so there's this raging debate on each side of the thing and there's this Greek word means this or Hebrew word means this and this I don't know the answer I lean to the side of no God did not require a human sacrifice um, but the point is that it was a rash vow and he was held to it so so anyway that's dealing with people so let's let's move a little quicker here Um, Now we go to verse 9. So if the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, that is, it's a clean animal, going back to previous studies, all uh, of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. In other words, there's no backing out, it's his. And he shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, for good or bad, or bad for good. And if he does, in fact, substitute one animal for the other, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. And if it is an unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, like a donkey or something, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it, either good or bad. And as the priest values it, so shall it be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to its valuation. So let me break this down. You wanna, somebody says, oh man, I just want to... God, you've been so good. and This little lamb... That it was just born, you know. I'm going to get, when it's old enough, I'm going to take it. I'm going to offer. I'm going to give it to you, God. And he's like, okay. And it's a clean animal. And it's holy now. It's set apart. He says, basically, no exchanges. God knows our hearts and our tendencies so well, doesn't he? Because you know what's going to happen. He's going to keep an eye on that little lamb. And it's going to grow up. And he's like, dang, that's a fat lamb. That is a, as lambs go, that's a good looking lamb. His brother... Little scrawny, not much meat on it. I, would God mind if I just kind of switch a root and give the scrawny one to God? But do you understand what He said. He knows our tendencies so well. God, I know I promised to give you this my my car, and then when I said it, I meant the BMW. But but I'm going to give you my 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 Peugeot instead. Oh, in my mind, Peugeots are pieces of junk. So um, he yeah, Prius. There <laughs> um, So he goes. Basically, no, uh, wow, I just felt like a lot of anger right there when I said Prius. Like, he basically says no exchanges. Um, He knows our our tendencies so well. But then he says, look, if it's an unclean animal, you can't offer that to God anyway. But what you do is just let the the priest, now listen to this. In that case, the priest would value it, and you paid him the money of its value. And if you're like, you know what, I take that back. I kind of need my donkey. I know I dedicated it to God. And he would say, okay, that's fine but you now don't have to buy it back at the set value plus 20%. Ooh! Again, the the rash vows, God's like trying to discourage that. Verse 14, now we get into property. He says, when a man dedicates his house as holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so shall it stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth of the valuation of the price that it is. God, I'm giving you my house. And then you wake up, you're like, oh, about that, God. I kind of want my house back. And God says, okay, that's fine. You have to pay the whole value plus 20% to get it back. This would definitely discourage rash vows to the Lord. I mean, he's almost like he's protecting him. Like, don't just open your mouth and say stuff if you don't intend to do it. You know, it makes me think of what Jesus said in Matthew where he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's a good word for us, amen? And by the way, I was thinking about this with the house thing, and I I don't want to go off the rails here too much, but, you know, I think that there's those of us who've made vows that are similar to this. You know, I was thinking about, I have lived in so many houses <laughs> in the last 27 years of marriage. We've lived in a lot of different homes and apartments and everything else. And we have a habit of when we move in, and I think it's a good habit, of just dedicating our house to God. Like, Lord, this is your house. You provided it. And, and what we mean by that is... Um, so we're going to use it for your glory. It's not just about us and our status in the neighborhood or this or that. It, this is your house. And so you get to decide what we do with it. And I th- think God's held our feet to the fire on that one. Oh, but we're not actually going to have a home group at our house. Or I'm not going to invite people over or show hospitality or open it up to a stranger. Or Do you know what I'm saying? And, and there's times where I think some of us have said those words maybe about your house that you're in. But let me ask you something. Are you allowing God to use it? Or is it your house still? When I I first got my guitar, um, I have a really nice, I think it's a really nice Taylor guitar. It's like 20-some years old now. I bought it fairly new back in 90, um, or maybe 2000. And uh, I was real particular about it. And I remember, like, getting a little ding in the back of it. And, you know, it's like a Koa sides, Koa back, nice Taylor guitar. And, um, and my friend was like, well, that's cool. Now we, we, we'll find out whose guitar it really is. And I was like, Ooh. Is it your guitar, Jason, or is it the Lord's guitar? Oh, my guitar, my guitar. But I thought you dedicated it to the Lord. Yeah, I know, but it's still my guitar. Same guitar, I actually lost it in Israel one time. That's a whole other story. Got it back. The point is, guys, you know, with our stuff, with our, and I'm not trying to be like rigid or like legalistic about this, but You know, sometimes I think there's some application for us in these things. God, you can have this. I commit to you my car. Well, hey, what if the Lord wants you to use that car to pick up somebody to bring them to church? Or what if God wants you to use your house to house somebody that doesn't have a house for a while? I'm not saying you just do it willy-nilly. You know, you need to pray through those decisions. But how radical would it be if we actually did what we said and said, Lord, this is yours And again, it's voluntary. Nobody's saying you have to do it. But if you dedicated something to God, what if you actually allowed him to have it, like for realies? Well, let's move on. If a man dedicates the Lord, uh, this is a lot of reading, so stay with me. If a man dedicates to the Lord a part of the land that is is his possession, uh, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. This is important. A homer which is a measurement of barley seed, shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates the field after the jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of jubilee, and the deduction shall be made from the, the valuation, 19. And he, shall, he who deli- dedicates the field who, and, and he wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price, and it shall remain his. I know this is like technicalities, but here's the idea. If you have your land, and you want to dedicate part of that to the Lord, that would, that would practically look like giving it to the priest. And it, it's part of your land. Keep in mind, God intended for the land to stay within the family. And basically what he's saying is, cool, um, here's how you determine how much it's worth. How much seed can be planted in it to grow a crop, and how many years are left to the next Jubilee. You guys remember what happened at the Jubilee? the land would go back to its original owner and all of that. So basically you're prorating the land and and how much seed can be placed on it. But if you donate that land and you pull back on your dedication to God and you say, I I want my land back. He says, great. You have to pay the entire price plus 20%. So the same thing. Well, it goes on. But if he does not wish to redeem the field or if he has sold the field to another man, It shall not be redeemed anymore, but the field, when it is released in the year of Jubilee, shall be a gift to the Lord like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it. So basically, during that time, if you never chose to redeem it, and the year of Jubilee came, it just goes straight to the priest, no chance of ever getting it back. Verse 22, if he dedicates to the... Verse 22, if he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not part of his possession... Then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for up to the year of Jubilee, and the man shall give the valuation on the day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him whom it was, uh, from whom it was bought, to whom the land belongs as a possession. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Uh, Twenty giras shall make a shekel. So again, more stipulations, the idea being if you bought some land, and near jubilee comes it goes back to the original owner unless you want to redeem it. Okay, verse 26. Now, what's interesting about verse 26 is now what he's going to talk about is not things that you can dedicate to God in a vow, but listen, things you're not allowed to dedicate to God. Now, this is interesting. Things previous were like, okay, you can dedicate that to God, but you better follow through or it's going to cost you this. Now he says, don't even try dedicating these things to God. And what he's going to talk about is three things. He's going to talk about, uh, number one, um, the firstborn. Number two, devoted things. And number three, tithes. And we'll look at that. Look at number 20, or verse 26. But if a firstborn of animals, which has a firstborn, belongs to the Lord... No one may dedicate, whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then you shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it, or 20%. Or if it is not redeemed, it should be sold at the valuation. So pause there. Again, if you're thinking back to Exodus, some of you maybe caught this. Exodus 13, I think somewhere around verse 2, God just makes this rule and he says, look, the firstborn of every animal, by the way, is mine, automatically, so basically what he was saying is, if you, you know, you had the, what do sheep have? Do they have litters, or do they just pop them out one at a time? How does that, I don't know how that works, but anyway, the firstborn from mama comes out and says, hey, look, guys, I'm gonna dedicate this to God. And God's like, no, you're not. It's already mine. You can't dedicate to me what already belongs to me. If you want it back, you can buy it back with the value plus 20%. So don't try to dedicate what's already mine. The second thing he talks about is things that were devoted to destruction. Look at verse 28. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord, of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or of his inherited uh, field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted, this is confusing, uh, who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed, he shall surely be put to death. Dang, what does that mean? This section was kind of a, a would, ra- would come into play in a more national application. Think about it in these terms. There were times in Israel's history where certain things were devoted to God for destruction. And the people weren't allowed to devote them to God, like a sacrifice. For example, Jericho. Do you guys remember the story of Jericho. Joshua and the children of Israel go into the land. The first city they're going to conquer is Jericho. So that first city is dedicated to God. They weren't allowed to take any of the people. They weren't allowed to take any of their goods. They were to kill everybody, and they were to destroy everything. You guys remember what happened? A guy named Achan stole some gold and some clothes and hid it. And guess what happened? That was devoted to God, and he took it. So he ends up dying. Another example, maybe a little more... To the point of this, 1 Samuel chapter 15, a guy by the name of Saul, and what does he do? God says, I want you to wipe out and kill all of the Amalekites, and he comes back from the battle, and he's all like just feeling good about himself, and, and in the background it says the sheep were bleeding, like, man, he was supposed to kill all the animals, all the people, take no, none of the stuff, and, and in chains behind him is like the king of the Amalekites, and Samuel's like... Like one of those memes where he's like, like, what are you doing? And he's like, I obeyed the Lord. I, I, I saved the king and, and the best of the goods. I'm going to offer them to the Lord as a sacrifice. And Saul pulled out the religious language. And then the classic quote from Samuel was, look, God desires obedience, not sacrifice. What was Saul going to do? Oh, God, I just want to offer you the best of these sheep to you. God said, they were already mine. I ordered you to destroy them. Does that make sense? Oh, I brought the king as an offering to you. I ordered you to kill him. So the the idea is, don't try to offer to me what's already mine, is what God was telling him. And then lastly, in this thought uh, process, he says the tithe. Now, this is interesting. Verse 30. Every tithe, the tithe just means the tenth. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he can, but he has to add 20% or fifth to it. Verse 32. And every tithe of, the, tithe of the herd and the flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall make substitution for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute are holy. Um, it shall not be redeemed. So there was all kinds of tithes that the children of Israel were under the law told to give to God, whether it was your harvest, your, you know, your fruit from the trees or the, the you know, the land or your animals. And what he was saying is every tenth one or the, is mine. So you can't offer to me as something dedicated that's a tithe because the tithe already belongs to me. Does that make sense? And when he talks about counting out 10 sheep that go under the, the staff, they would kind of funnel the sheep into like a where it was just a single file line. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Whoop, pull that one out. Ten. One, two, three. What they weren't able to do is like one, two, like look up. Okay, that guy's ten. Ooh, that's a really good-looking sheep. Let's switch him for Billy Bob sheep and the scrawny one. And he's like, Don't do that. You can't make substitutions. The point of what he's trying to say is this you can't offer to me as some dedicated gift the tithe because it's already mine. That's why sometimes um, you'll hear pastors like me sometimes, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, because I'll say stuff like, hey, the guys are going to come forward to receive the tithes and the offerings at church. What I mean by that when I say that is the tithe is the first that we give to God, and an offering is what is above and beyond the tithe. Now, here's what I am firmly convinced of. We are in no way under the law. I don't believe the church is under the law of the tithe. I don't think that we have to bring the tithe according to the law. I will say this, the tithe was a principle before the law. Genesis chapter 14, um, Abraham actually after a battle offers tithes to this mysterious guy called Melchizedek who is a If the very least, a type of Christ, if not actually Jesus pre-incarnate. And it was an act of worship, and it was received as such. And that was way before the law, and it was the tithe. So the principle of giving the first fruit to God, I think, is a solid one. I personally tithe. I was taught to tithe. What I'm saying is, I don't think by law we have to tithe, but I think that is a principle that is so good to offer your first fruits to God in a way of saying thank you for what you've given me and God, we acknowledge it's from you. And so the way, just the way we, my wife and I handle giving is that we always give a tithe of the first fruit of any income that comes in, boom, straight to God, 10%. But then we have offerings that we say, you know what, but beyond that, we're gonna, man, we're going to give to a missionary here. We're going to give to a, support a child over there. But that, in our mind, is like the offering. I, that's maybe a throwback to Old Testament thinking. Paul says that we're to give, we're to give regularly, we're to give cheerfully, but there's no like, set amount, in my opinion, in the New Testament that we are, have to give under law. We're, we're free from that. What I'm saying is the tithe is a principle that is a great principle that is a great starting point for our giving. To say, Lord, how can I give in a regular way? So, but the point back to this was he was saying, look, guys, um, don't, don't try to offer to me what's already mine. Amen? And then in verse 34, he says this. These are the commandments whew, that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Done. Woo! Finished Leviticus. That, well, let's start over for just a quick review, um, but there it is, verse thirty-four. He says, "These are the commandments that the Lord committed to Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai." And you know, it was interesting. I was talking to a guy before service, and you know, I just read in my own personal devotions this morning that the law came by Moses, but grace came through and truth came through jesus christ amen how many of you guys are glad that we are not held to the rules of the old testament law amen how many of you guys are glad there's not like a brass altar up here and we have to like drag our sheep in you know and slaughter them praise god for that that we're under grace under grace i do want to just make i think there is some just a couple of thoughts and i've been wrestling with this you know i told you at the beginning it's kind of a weird chapter. But I was just saying, you know, Lord, what, what do you have for us in this? You know, what, what are some applications that you might have for us? I want to make a very obvious one that I've kind of already made. But I just want to ask you this. And again, the principles that we pulled out of this chapter is this. If you, if you want to vow something to God, that's great. It's voluntary. You don't have to do it. But you should take it seriously if you do. You should let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I just want to ask a rhetorical question to you. Have you devoted something to God in your life and the next question is have you followed through on that I mean is there something that just came to mind when we're going through the, now let me just before I push on that point a little bit I want to step over here the gray side of me that just says we have all made stupid rash vows to God that we wish we wouldn't have said amen and we've all had to come before him and say God I, forgive me that was wrong and I either don't I can't do that or just I didn't understand what I was saying at the time and we've all failed in that way. But maybe there's something that, no, in a moment of worship at church or, or the Lord touching your heart and you say, you know, I'm going to do this for God. I, I want to, I think that one of the things that the Lord was, is trying to kind of say tonight is that there's some maybe in here that you need to hear this because he wants you to follow through with that. Maybe it was something you committed to God, like God, I, I'm gonna serve you. Serve Him. Do what you said. Well, I don't know. I don't I feel inadequate. I, yeah, but I triple dog dare you in faith to step out and just do what you said you were gonna do for God. Well, God, I promised I would support that person or or or, or that sponsor that child with, with my money and I gave it to you. Do it. Well, things are tight now and, and, you know, money is, you know. What if you just do it? you guys understand what I'm saying? Maybe it's service to the Lord. Maybe it's what we said earlier about your home. You know, when I first bought this house, my wife and I said we'd use it for the glory of God. But really all we've done is use it for the glory of how well we can decorate it. And what if, I, what if we just gave it to God again and said, God, why don't you, you can use my house, however you want to use my house, or you can use my car, Maybe there's something very specific that there's no way I could point it out, but you know in your heart that you've you've said to God, I want to do this for you. And What if the Lord tonight would just, not in in a legalistic, angry way, but just saying, follow through on that. Do it. Be a man of your word. Be a woman of your word. The other question I've been rumbling around in my head about this is, well, let me start by saying this. Back to that point of, vows like this being voluntary then why did God even bring it up because I think that there's something listen in us as humans that part of our reaction to the goodness of God is that we say God you did this for me I want to do this for you and you know what I think that's a good reaction I think that's a good way to respond to God think about the time in your life when you first got grace or you really just understood that even though you're a fouled up, broken person, God loves you, and your sins are forgiven, and you realize like there's no condemnation, and the life of Christ came gushing into you, and you were transformed, and you're like, what was your response? I'm glad I got that. I'm going to go my way now. Like, there's something in us that just says, what can I give to you, God, for all that you've done? That's a good, normal, and right reaction. Would you agree with that? I mean, there's, it's almost something wrong with us if we don't respond that way. Uh, having understood all that God has done for us and then to just not have some reaction of saying, but what can I do for you, God? But my next question is this. What can I devote to God that he really needs? One year, and I think it, it was one of my kids, I don't want to mention Libby's name, but um, To be honest with you, I, I, I don't want to, I said Libby, but I, I'm going to keep a secret who I actually was. It may have been Libby. It may not have been Libby. One of my children, for Father's Day, gave me five bucks when they were a little kid. You, you know what my reaction was? Dang, I needed that five bucks. Woo! High five, Caleb. Or Josh. JJ. No, it wasn't JJ. You know, I didn't need his five bucks or her five bucks, did I? I was blessed by it. Like, oh, so, it was just an expression of love. Like, oh, that's awesome. You give me five bucks. And I was thinking about this. What do we offer to God that, we really, that he really needs or even desires? Like, I didn't need that five bucks. I was thinking about, you know, what if, what if my, my, one of my children came up or what if JJ came up and was like, dad, you've been so good to me. We have food on the table every night. Here's my tooth fairy money. I'd be like, oh, A, I gave you that one. He doesn't know that, so. Um, It came from me anyway, but um, I don't need that. I mean, I love that he gave me that. And I was just, and I'm just, this is a personal application of this. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, like, what can I give to God? You know what I think God, if anything, we want to devote to him, I think it would be our thanks and our praise and our love. Amen? Think about this. This is Psalm 116. It says this, verse 12. What can I give to the Lord for all the benefits he's given to me? And then he goes on, I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to pay my vow to the Lord in the presence of his people. Verse 17, I will offer to the Lord sacrifices of thanksgiving and call upon his name. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. And I think one of the greatest things we can Give to God in response and say, i want to devote to you would be our praise and our thanks and our acknowledgement that anything and everything good that we have has come from him, amen? That we would devote our praise, devote our thanks to God. Can I give you guys a little bit of a, a nudge and, and kind of an, an encouragement slash push forward? Don't be passive in our times of worship. Don't come in and It almost stinks that we're in a theater because it lends itself to this idea of we're in the audience, you're on the stage, entertain me. I almost wish we could gut this place and make it look different. It actually functions quite well for some of the things we do, for sound and things like that. But I wonder sometimes if it communicates the wrong thing. Because worship is not to be a you worship up there and we'll evaluate how if you're on this week or how the sound is doing or if I like the song or the worship leader. But instead, we should come in and we should be participating in the worship. Amen? And, and it's not one of these things where, well, once I feel like worshiping all worship, your feelings have nothing to do with it. What if you came in just saying, I'm going to worship God because he deserves it, and I'm going to sing at the top of my voice, even if I can't sing well, even if I don't like the song, even if I'm not into it right now, because it's not about me and how I feel. It's about giving God the glory that he's due. Amen? What if we just said, I'm going to devote to you worship and praise and thanks? Now, it's obviously not limited to our 15, 20 minutes before service. We can bring our praises and thanks and worship to him at all times. In fact, to take that application a step forward, Paul says something like this in Romans 12.1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, voluntary. I appeal to you, voluntary. By the mercies of God or according to the loving Kindness of God. This is Romans twelve. He has spent eleven chapters breaking down the doctrine of justification by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone. That we are saved not through our keeping of the law, but solely by grace, accessed by faith, and that God has transformed us and made us right with God. And all the the doctrinal stuff that he's he's broken down, and he comes to a conclusion, and he says, "In light of all of that." Of all that God has done for you, I appeal now to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I like one translation where it says, your reasonable act of spiritual worship. In other words, the most reasonable response to all that God has done for us is to lay our lives down on the altar and say, God, my whole life, belongs to you. What can I devote to God? What about all of you? What if we just said, Lord, I devote all of me to you? Now listen, none of us are going to bat a thousand on that. None of us are going to be perfect in that. But what if that was the main trajectory of your life? We said, my life is no longer mine. It's not duplicitous. It's not like, I live sometimes for church and sometimes for God and sometimes for the world and sometimes for my flesh, but sometimes for God. What if my whole life, you get to decide who I marry, you decide if I marry. You decide where I work, if I work. You decide where I live, you decide where I work, you decide who I hang out with, you decide what I put in my body, what I don't put in my body. God, you are the Lord and Savior of my life and my whole life is yours. That's something we could dedicate to him. Can I ask you this back to the other question is, I think there's some of us in here, That at some point in your walk with Christ, you said that and you meant it and you presented your body to God. Can I ask you this? Have you fulfilled it? Now, we've all messed up. We've all made mistakes, but I'm talking about, has there just been a major turn where you said, my life is yours. I give you my life completely. Fulfill that. Come back to that. Tonight, come back to, well, I've just failed so bad. I've just, I I told him I would never do this, and I did it, and I sinned. Listen, the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of that, and you are forgiven. And tonight, I wonder if there's two or three people that in your past years of walking with Christ, there was a time when you were overwhelmed by the goodness of God, and you devoted your life to him. And I would say to you tonight, fulfill that vow. I dare you to step back into that and say, God, I fully give you my life again tonight. I failed. I'm not going to be perfect in the future, but I truly, with all my heart, want to re-devote myself fully to you. Amen? And if you've never done that, I'm not encouraging you to do it unless you mean it, unless you've really been touched by God, unless that's really your true heart's desire, and you say, Lord, how can I not, after all you've done for me, not lay down willingly and say, you can have all of my life? It's voluntary. You don't have to do that. Paul didn't say, you have to. He said, I beg you. Consider, the re- consider what's real. What God has done for us. Shouldn't our proper response be this? So maybe for some of you, this is kind of a kick in the rear and saying, you know, I did make that devo- devotion to God. What am I doing right now with my life? Why? I, maybe there's some things. is saying, cut this out, start doing this, don't do that. Get real. And maybe the others, he's saying, I love you. I've done this for you. And maybe God tonight would have one or two or three or half a dozen of us in here say, I want to devote myself fully to you, God. It's never in our strength or our ability. It's all all by his grace. But there's something good about commitment. Amen? Amen or not? How many of you guys are glad your wife committed to you? Or your husband committed to you? Well, commitment's so binding, that's not a bad thing. I'm not talking about being legalistic, but I'm talking about a full commitment. Nothing against the younger generation coming up, but you guys seem to have commitment issues. <laughs> what if you fully committed? Not half, not one foot in, one foot out. Fully commit. Don't do it. Don't do it. Unless you mean it. And if you mean it, then go all in. You're not going to regret that. You're not going to be perfect. But I triple dog dare some of you guys to just go all in based on his mercy for us. Amen? I've gone long. Let's all stand. We're done with the book of Leviticus. Amen? All right, guys. As we're standing, don't lose the moment. I want to ask you just in the privacy of your own heart to maybe pray in... Anything that the Holy Spirit in the last hour has been talking to you about. Maybe there's this very specific thing where you and you and God only know that there was something you devoted and maybe you say, hey, get back to that. Maybe it's this whole idea of just your whole life giving it back. But if the Lord's spoken to you, don't don't just go. Let's stop. Let's pray it in right now. Let's bow our heads and our hearts. I can't pray for you necessarily, so I want you right now to talk to God just in the Brief few moments here. Uh, Forgive us, God, for times we've made rash devotions and vows to you, our inability, our weakness to keep them. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have by the blood of Jesus. I want to pray for anyone tonight who you're maybe pricking their heart and saying, it was a good thing that you devoted your life to me, but now it's time to do it. I, mean, I feel like the Holy Spirit's putting on my heart right now that there's somebody you devoted your life to a life of service. Years have gone by. God has not forgotten that vow that he, you made to him, and he wants to do something in your life that you think is long past, but he's going to fulfill it. And I think that there's that's really specific for somebody in here tonight. Maybe it's missions. Maybe it's something where you were... You've made that devoted thing to to God, but you feel like that time's gone and God's saying, no, it's not. Maybe, Lord, there's some of us in here that are just weighing out the severity of what it means to really give our lives fully to you. God, I pray that we would do it with all of our heart. And collectively, Lord, we praise you and thank you for how good you've been to us and how you've redeemed us. Not with 20%, but 100%. You gave it all, and you bought us, and we belong to you. And we love you, and we thank you, and we devote ourselves to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.